This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. God bless you. Take a seat. See if you can finish this statement. Pastor, I would go to church, but there's a whole lot of something there. What's the word that's missing? Whole lots of what? You don't know? Ah, oh, you got to walk in my shoes for a while. There's a whole lot of hypocrites there. Oh. Yeah, in fact, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Not hypocrites, okay? But I want to talk about the flip side of that, and that is authenticity. Authenticity. In fact, I want to read you a true story. Are you ready? For technical reasons, a flight from San Francisco to Seattle was diverted to Sacramento. After landing, flight attendant informed the disappointed passengers that there would be about an hour's delay before they would be allowed to continue on to Seattle. But they would be welcome to the plane and stretch their legs. All but one passenger chose to do so. As the pilot was leaving the cockpit, he glanced at the passenger section and noticed that single passenger, a blind man who often flew that route. Approaching him, the pilot asked, Hey, Keith, this is Captain Smith. Looks like we're going to be in Sacramento for about an hour. Would you like to go for a short walk? No, thanks, Captain, but my dog would probably like to. Would you mind taking him? Sure, the captain responded. Needless to say, the mood in the boarding area changed abruptly as the pilot emerged sporting his usual sunglasses and being led by what was obviously a guide dog. (laughs) Noisy conversation gave way to silence, which gave way to hushed whispers. And who knows what might have happened if the good captain hadn't removed his sunglasses, acknowledged the crowd, and explained the circumstances. You know, there's a lesson in that true story. And here it is. Things aren't always what they seem, no matter how convincing the evidence. That's a funny story when it has to do with the captain of somebody else's plane, correct? (laughs) And it's a funny story when it has a happy ending. But the truth is, all too many people have come to church expecting things to be as they appeared only to leave greatly disappointed when things were not as they appeared. This morning we want to talk about that particular subject. And um, let me contrast that story with a scripture in the Bible. Take a look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 1. The purpose of this teaching, the entire teaching of scripture, here it is, is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Let's read together. Ready? The purpose of this instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. I want you to underline or circle some words, okay? Let's start with the word all. Okay? Not just some believers, not just the pastor and the staff, 
not just the leaders of ministry, but all believers. Okay? Then I want you to circle the word pure. Because the love that God has put in our hearts has to spring from a pure heart. Because if the heart gets defiled, that's what enables the pastor to run off with some lady in the church. It's not a shortage of love, it's just not a pure heart. That's the problem, okay? Then I want you to circle the word clear. Because it's connected with conscience. And friend, do you realize how important your conscience is to you? Do you know that in the Bible, God says to you that even if something is right and okay, if it bothers your conscience, you should stay away from it because the one thing you cannot live with successfully is a conscience that isn't clear. It will eat you up from the inside out. You'd be better off not to do something that was okay and keep a clear conscience than do it and live with a guilty conscience. And then last of all, Circle the word genuine. Now when you put all of those together, we're talking about authenticity. Can you see that? Yeah. Paul is writing and he's saying, you know, it is quite possible for a person to come to church, do all those things, and I have a good friend who's a, who's a golf pro. And uh, I was out golfing with him one day and he was sharing with me some story and he goes, yeah, that guy is the classic ornamental golfer. So what is an ornamental golfer? He said, he's got everything but the swing. <laughs> he's got brand new Footjoy shoes. You know, he's got his Dunhill pants. He, he's got his Etonic nice golf shirt. He's got brand new Callaway clubs. He's got the latest bag. He's got this golf glove. He's got everything but the swing. And you know, I want you to stay with me for a minute. Think about this. There are people who are ornamental Christians. They got everything but the walk. Now God, you know, God's going to speak to all of us. And I'm sure that in some ways, there's probably a little ornamental Christian in all of us. So I've asked God if he wouldn't deal with that this morning in all of us. And there might be some of us that that's all we are. Is, is sort of an ornamental Christian. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, as we just read that passage of Scripture, would you speak to us this morning so that we would have love out of a pure heart, that we would live out of a clear conscience, and that the faith that we place in you would be genuine and authentic. God, would you speak to us about that this morning? And give us grace to respond as we should. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look at the video screens. I want you to look at a commercial that was actually designed and prepared for American TV. Although I never saw it on TV. And I'm not sure how long it lasted. But boy does it bring into question a primary American value and practice. Take a look. That'll cause you to think we just turn around and go home, right? It cause you to review your life. Wow. Sometimes, no wonder our perception of Christianity gets distorted. Because it's sometimes, in our world, it's hard to tell what's real from what's just sort of put on. 
as I was watching that and as I was praying about this message, God gave me three observations that I want to share with you. And they strike to the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. Take a look at the very first one. We live in a world that worships image. You saw it on the billboard, right? Yeah, there was very little resemblance between the lady on the billboard and the one that walked in the studio. In fact, if they had just showed you those two pictures, the beginning and the end, you probably would never have figured out that was the same lady. But because you watched the evolution of it, then you were able to see, oh my goodness, look what they did with that lady with uh, a little bit of makeup and some Photoshop when it was all done. Um, We live in a world that worships image. However, it craves authenticity. Those of you who are baseball fans, a few years ago, uh, virtually every baseball fan in the world got caught up in the lives of three guys, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. And they were cranking up home runs like they were going out of style. We all got caught up in that hype. And yet, what was the question that was going on in the back of our minds that Major League Baseball turned a blind eye to and virtually all of the commentators turned a blind eye to? Were they juiced? And you know, as long as we didn't know for sure they were juiced, we were willing to bow down to the image, weren't we? But as soon as it came out that they were juiced, when was the last time that you saw Barry Bonds interviewed anywhere? How about Sammy Sosa? Do you even know where he is now? No. How about Mark McGuire? I happen to know where he is because he got hired by the St. Louis Cardinals, much to the chagrin of virtually everyone. You know, we may worship that image as a culture, but deep down underneath the image, boy, we all want to know, boy, there's got to be substance. Because when push comes to shove, substance always wins. So that's the first thing. Second observation is this. We live in a world that might not go to church, but I can tell you for sure They want to know that the church is authentic just in case they need it someday. Some of you are going to look at your own life. You're going to go, yep, I was there. Not too long ago. I didn't want to go to church. But deep in my heart, I wanted to believe that if I encountered something in my life that was bigger than I was, that I had some place to go to. Can I share with you that one of the basic things that God has given us as a church is to step into that role and be an authentic church so that when the guy down the street or the lady down the street or a co-worker that you have or someone else, when they run into something that just rocks their world and they don't know where to turn, that we can say to them, why don't you come with me? I'll take you to a place that's authentic. It's genuine to its core. You're not going to get any smoke and mirrors. You're not going to get kind of one thing and then another thing. It's just going to be the truth of God delivered to you in a package of love surrounded by people who will take the journey with you. That's it. Observation number three. When the heat is on, the wax melts. Now that's not going to make any sense to you till I tell you a story. 
The English word sincere. There's a, there's a, there's a debate about its actual etymology or where it came from, but there's a whole group of people, and, and there's some pretty good evidence to point toward it, that our English word sincere actually comes from two Latin words. The S-I-N, sin, means without, and C-E-R-E comes from the Latin word C-E-R-A, sera, which means wax. So the word sincere may have been derived from those two Latin words, which means without wax. And as the story goes, there were sculptors in the ancient world who made images. Usually they were images of local gods. Sometimes they were the image of Caesar or whatever else. But they carved these images out of marble. But the deal is you could get marble cheap if it was cracked. So they would, the, the not-so-scrupulous uh, sculptors would buy this cheap cracked marble and they would carve their image out of this cheap cracked marble. And then once they got it all done, then they would take colored wax and they would carefully match the color to the marble and they would press it into the cracks so that as you looked at it, you could not tell that the marble was cracked. However, if you accidentally left your image out in the hot sun, guess what happened? All the wax melted and ran out of the cracks. Yeah. I want you to know something. We'll come back to this at the very end of what I'm going to say to you this morning. What I want you to know is that when the heat is on in your life, that's when you find out what part of your walk with Christ is genuine and authentic And what part of it's just wax? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Nobody's faith, nobody's walk with Christ is tested when life is great and everything's going good, really. Well, it's a different kind of test at that point. But boy, when the heat is on, when the temptation is severe, that's when we find out how authentic our walk is. So as I was praying about the sermon Say, God, what are the basic concepts and principles of authenticity? What is there in life that is so real and so genuine we can anchor our life to it, we can build our life in it, what, on it? What is it that is so foundational to Christianity that if we get those things correct, that it's worthy to build the rest of our life on? And so this morning I'm going to give you a lesson in ancient construction. And I'm also going to give you a lesson about three things that are all marble and no wax. Okay? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Bible says three things will last forever. Does that tell you that this is all marble and no wax? No. No matter what happens, leave it in the sun, it doesn't make any difference. There are three things that will last forever. And here they are. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So for the next few minutes, let's take a journey through faith, hope, and love. And let's see how God has designed them to be the irreplaceable foundation for authentic Christianity. And then let's sort of look at our lives and check the foundation underneath us and and 
and find out whether it is that genuine marble or whether we got some cracks down there with a little bit of wax in them. So let's take the very first one. Okay? Faith. Now, faith is a very, very broad subject, but in the context of authenticity, here's what God wants us to know that we have to have faith that God cares about us. That's the starting point of the entire Bible. That's the starting point of Christianity. It is the foundation. In fact, you might want to write this underneath that uh, down there where I've given you a blank. And that is, this is the cornerstone of Christianity. Now, in ancient construction... When they were going to build a building, the first stone that they laid in the foundation was the cornerstone. It was the biggest stone in all of the foundation, usually four to five times bigger than all of the other stones. And it was the stone that every other stone was aligned to and set on and around. So if the cornerstone was not not true and accurate and wasn't properly set, the rest of the building was hopeless. It just would never, ever be built right, function right, look right, work right, or last long. So it's the cornerstone. And the Bible's very clear that faith is the very foundation of everything in our walk and life with Christ. But the question is, what is it that we have to believe? I run into people all the time who say, Pastor, I have a faith. I believe that God exists. I know He's out there somewhere. And so I, you know, I kind of have my own personal faith and my own, you know, I, I just know that God's out there. Well, God challenges that sort of thinking in us because here's what the author of James said. This was the, the brother of Jesus who said, You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in fear. So before I get on my high horse and think I'm doing really good because I believe in the existence of God and I know he's out there somewhere, James says, well, hey, you're up to the level of demons now. How's that for a perspective getter? You've all heard probably there's no atheist in foxholes. You've heard that before. Well, guess what? Apparently there's no atheist in hell either because you can see that right there. So what is it that if this faith is going to become the foundation for my life that is rock solid, it's marble, it's no wax, something worthy of building my life on, what is it that I must believe about God? Well, God puts it straight in the Bible. Take a look here in Hebrews 11. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists. That's the part we just read about. But there's a whole additional part to that faith that we must have And that is that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In other words, you not only have to believe that God exists, but you have to believe that God cares about you. I mean really cares about you and cares about you not from the standpoint of being a judge who wants to make sure that you stay, that you color within the lines and if you color outside the lines, he will break your crayon and slap you on the back of the hands with a ruler. Not that. But that God cares about you to the point that he has a deep desire to reward you. He wants to come into your life and bless you. He wants to come into your life and walk with you. 
He wants to come into your life. And when you encounter trouble, he wants to stand with you in the middle of that trouble. And when you encounter hardship, he wants to not only stand with you in that hardship, he wants to point you to a way through that hardship. And as you learn to walk with him and follow him, he wants to put his arm around you and pour grace into your life and strength into your life, and encouragement into your life, and love into your life, and blessing into your life, and give you a destiny. And friend, the list just goes on and on and on. But you don't get that from just believing there's a God out there somewhere. The wonderful message of Scripture is the God that you believe in that's out there somewhere has a desire to become the God who lives in here. And he only gets there by personal invitation. And so rock-solid faith starts with this wonderful belief that, that there is a God who cares deeply about me. That's that bottom course of stone, the cornerstone of your walk with God, something you can build your life on. The second thing that Paul mentions there in 1 Corinthians is hope. And there's a specific thing about hope. And that isn't just that, oh, I hope the economy will recover. I hope I get a job. I hope that I'm able to hang on to my house. I hope I can get a new car. Okay? No, there's a specific thing when the Bible talks about hope. That, the, that hope is always connected with. And it is this, that God will change me. <coughs> I can't tell you how important or how fundamental that is to the Christian life because our faith in God is always attached to the hope and the hope of God that God gives us is always attached to His promises because we hope for the things that he has promised us. And because the things he has promised us are good, then, then we put our faith in him. They, they, they all go together. But I can tell you this, as you look through Scripture and you read through the Bible and you take a look at every interaction that God has with his people, when God gives a promise, somewhere in that promise is a kernel. It's the It's the... It's the seed that the rest of the promise is built on, and that is virtually every promise in God's Word has about it that kernel that He wants to change something in us. His promise of forgiveness. What's that about? He wants to change the feeling of guilt and condemnation and shame that we have. So God gives us a promise of forgiveness. The promise of transformation. What's that about? Well, that promise is God looks at us and says, you know, that stuff you want to be forgiven of, I'm willing to forgive you of it. But if you keep doing it, it still brings guilt. It still brings shame. It still brings remorse. It still has about it a destructive nature that destroys the people in your world. God says, I want to come into your life and I not only want to forgive you of that behavior, I want to change that behavior in your life so that you no longer have to do that stuff. 
so that you no longer have to be the slave to those sorts of things. I want to set you free from that. So he gives us this wonderful promise of transformation. How about the promise of eternal life? I can tell you that the older I get, the more, you know, that's starting to come up real clear. And that's actually not a bad thing. Because sooner or later, we all have to deal with our mortality. You know what the greatest cure for mortality is? It's called immortality. And that is to be given life that is eternal. And God says, I want to change that mortality in you. And I want to replace it with immortality. And so he gives us the promise of eternal life. And friends, the list just goes on and on and on. But every promise in God's word has in its core the concept of changing something about us. And that's the hope that we live on. So in ancient construction, you set down the cornerstone and then you started putting foundation stones all around it in alignment with it, on top of it, beside it, and so forth. And that's how you built your foundation. And so just as faith was the cornerstone, hope are all these promises or stones of promise that complete the foundation for our lives. And so as we walk with God in this wonderful, authentic Christian walk that we have with God at different times, different ones of those promises mean more to us than at other times, right? And aren't we glad that God didn't just put one promise in there, but many? But how can I know for sure that those promises will actually come to pass? Well, there are many passages in Scripture I could read to you, but I want to read to you these two. Joshua in the Old Testament as he was leading the people of God, he, he, he looked back and he said, Hey, remember my predecessor Moses, who, who stood before you and gave you all these promises that he got directly from God. I want to remind you of something, and here it is. Not one of all the Lord's good promises that he made to the house of Israel failed. Every one was what? Fulfilled. Wow. Two millennia later, not quite, millennia and a half later, the Apostle Paul sort of wrote the same thing. He said, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all what? Yes, in Christ. And one of the great things that we get to do at this church every Sunday is we get to stand before you and lay out the promises of God and assure you that just as surely as God exists, and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, every promise that you read in God's Word will come to pass in your life. Not 99 out of 100, not 80 out of 100, but 100 out of 100. Because when God makes a, a promise, friend, He can take it to the bank. Next Sunday, we're going to work on Father's Day, but the Sunday after that, we're going to start a brand new sermon series here, and it's simply entitled Promise. And we've got five messages about the five core issues of our lives, and we're going to take a look at three specific promises that God gives to deal with each of those five issues. So we're going to look at 15 core promises of God in, in, uh, during that five-week span of time. And uh, I would encourage you uh, to come prepared 
to embrace every promise that God gives. Because if God gives a promise and you don't believe it and you don't embrace it in your life, it doesn't do any good, does it? It's not until you embrace it into your life and begin to build your life on it and around it that it becomes a foundation stone in your life. So the first was faith. What was the second one? Hope. And what's the last one? Love. Let's take a look at love as God talks about in His Word. And again, love is a very, very broad subject. But for the concept of authenticity in Christianity in this image-conscious world, when people come to the church and they're looking for love, what they're really wanting is this. The love that God gives is a love that, God, that enables God to use me to change other people's lives. Unfortunately, we live in a world that usually interprets love in terms of its own self. Who loves me? How much am I loved? And usually, to be honest with you, when most of us come to church, are we coming to church at least the first few times? Are we looking for people to love or are we looking to make sure that we are loved? Usually the second, isn't it? Is anybody there going to love me? Are they going to welcome me? Are are, are they going to talk to me? Is anybody going to visit with me? Is there anybody there I know who already loves me? It's usually about people loving us. The great thing about an authentic walk with God, and I want you to see how God changes us. It starts with this this foundational stone, this cornerstone of faith, that I believe that there's not only a God, but there's a God who actually cares about me. Okay? And then on top of that is, I not only need to believe that there's a God who cares about me, but He actually makes me promises that will change my life. He won't just leave me as I am. He will actually change me. That's a good thing too. But guess what? The first two are about us. What's number three about? It's about others. Because any love that is only turned inward becomes selfishness. It's not until we turn love outward that it becomes the kind of love that is a blessing to us and a blessing to people around us. So God calls us to this wonderful life of love, which, by the way, is the reason. He said, now, these three things last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love. You know why it's the greatest? Because it's the only one that's not really about us. Yeah. It's the one that enables us to be used by God to change other people's lives. Look at this passage in the book of James. James writes and says, If one of you wanders away from the truth, the rest of you should all have a meeting and talk about that. Is that what it says? All too often that's what happens, right? The rest of you should all wag your head and go, Thank God that's not me. No. If one of you wanders away from the truth and someone helps that person, what? Come back. Wow. What a beautiful thing. He goes on to say, anyone who brings a sinner back from the wrong will save that sinner's soul from death and will cause many sins to be forgiven. That's a pretty cool thing, don't you think? That's really, that is the entire mission 
of the church is right there in that one verse. And that is helping people who have wandered away from a solid faith in God, helping them find their way back. I want to read you a card that um, we got just this week from one of the people, if you were here last Sunday, one of the people that we baptized last Sunday. I'm so blessed to be a part of new life. I truly never knew just how great my life could be. It's still not easy, but I feel stronger and more loved than I ever have. I know God is here for me and that he is my perfect heavenly father, something that I have needed forever and just didn't know that all I needed to do was ask. My baptism means so much to me. I struggled to feel worthy. But again, with your help, I realized it is what I've needed. How can I ever thank you enough for all you have done for me? Maybe I can't, but I know he can and will. Here's what I want you to get. As for me, know that my life has forever been changed. That's kind of the whole message in a nutshell, isn't it? That you saw the faith that that particular person had in God. You saw the hope that they got when they came to church and understood that God not only loved them, but that God cared for them deeply. And they began to claim the promise of God. And of course, through the message of the church, their life was changed. As we close, I want to give you the closing thought. And I hope it challenges you. And then I'm going to read you some thought questions. Okay? And here's a closing thought. God has always desired for us to be authentic followers of Jesus. Do you believe that? You sure? Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah. God has always desired for us to be authentic followers of Jesus. And this is what the world actually hopes for. They want to know, even the ones that are not here this morning, they want to know that should this week, should they encounter some terrific tragedy in their life, they would want to know they could come here next Sunday morning and find a group of authentic Christians who would love them and invite them in and take that journey with them and lift and encourage them. And they would do it out of a pure heart and they do it with a clear conscience and they would do it from a sense of genuine faith in God. Now, since that's true... Both God and the world are counting on us. So what does that leave for the only question? You got it. Will we deliver? And many of you, maybe most of you, I would hope all of you are. But as I was praying about this, God sort of said, Hey Ron, write down these questions. And I want to tell you right up front, as I read the questions, for some of us, our initial response is going to be guilt. Okay? I don't apologize for that. Okay? I'm not reading them to make you feel guilty, but as the old saying goes, if the shoe fits, wear it. But not for long, because God wants you to bring that guilt to Him so you can be forgiven and you can be changed. But for some of us, the initial response is going to be guilt because we haven't been living authentically. For some of us, the initial response is going to be affirmation. Again, I don't apologize for the affirmation. If you've been walking in authentic Christianity as I read these questions, your response on the inside is going to be, thank you, Jesus, I'm making some progress. Okay? To help you, 
I don't want you to look back over your entire life because I know what you'll do if you look back over your entire life. If you tend to be the kind of person that gives yourself the benefit of the doubt, you will answer this question in in light of the half a dozen best days you've ever had. Right? And if you tend to be the kind of person that's hard on yourself, you'll tend to answer these questions in light of the half a dozen worst days you've ever had in life. So here's the deal. I want you to go back only to Friday and Saturday. Because that'll give you a good read on what you are today, all right? So here we go. In light of Friday and Saturday, here are the questions. Did I live Friday and Saturday with my life centered on the God who cares for me? Was it centered there? When the heat was on, did my character melt like wax in the hot sun or remain firm and beautiful as marble? Did I pray on Friday and Saturday believing that God would hear and answer me from a generous heart? Did I count on God to come through with every promise he's made to me? Can I point to an experience during the last two days that demonstrated the great changes God has made in my life? And last of all, did God do something through me that actually helped another person to change? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.